you're on Thursday Eye, and I think it's time for us to get started with the recording and the the introduction. Thursday, everyone. Today is February 8th, 2024. I don't know. This is the second calendar year that Thursday is happening in, so I don't know if I need to mention the year or not. But we're well on our way into 2024. And you're here on Thursday Eye. The Thursday Eye is the space, the newsletter, and the podcast to keep you up to date with all of the very interesting things that are happening in the very fast-moving world of AI. Hopefully, by now, uh, all of you already have Thursday AI in your podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, recently YouTube as well, which is weird. But with this introduction, I will just say um, hello myself, basically. Hey, everyone. My name is Alex Volkov. I'm an AI evangelist with Weights and Biases. Weights and Biases is the reason why this comes to life to you. And there's going to be a little segment about Weights and Biases in the middle here as well. And I'm joined on stage often and pretty much every week by great friends, experts in their fields. uh, As we talk about everything AI related this week, especially we're going to have some interesting things. Those of you who come back week after week, thank you. And we love that you're part of the community. And it's great to see how many people just return. And uh, those of you who are new, we're here every week, and uh, the community doesn't stop after we finish the space. There's a bunch of spaces. I think our friend uh, <laughs> Alignment Lab had had the space that went on for the full week, I think. I don't know if he if he ever slept. That's maybe why he's not here on stage. But we're here every week for the two hours to give you updates for the first hour and definitely some very interesting deep dives that has been happening, that have been happening for the past few weeks, I want to say. So I just want to shout out some friends of ours that recently we were featured in the deep dives. We talked with Maxime Lebon, who trained the Beagle series and then also gave a deep dive with us about model merging. That was really fun. And on the last deep dive, we talked with uh, the Lilac folks and they're building an, an open source tool that lets you peer into huge data sets. Like imagine millions of rows data sets and they chunk and cluster this. And we've talked about the importance of data sets in creation of LLMs or large language models. And they've taken the huge data sets of the folks to, to usually come up on Thursday I. Technium from News Research just released their Hermes data set, for example. And the folks in Lilac talked to us about how that would be visualized and how you can see um, which parts of it is is, is com- comprised of. It, it's quite an interesting conversation about how to approach the the training and fine-tuning area. And we haven't often talked about data set curation and creation. So that conversation was a very nice one. So we have deep dives. I will say that last weekend I also interviewed, and that's probably going to come up as a separate episode, I interviewed Sasha Jadan from Moscow. And this was a first for me. And I just want to like highlight where this where this weird thing takes me because that's not Thursday AI and that's not about the news. That was just literally about AI stuff. So this guy from Moscow, and this will be dropping on Thursday AI podcast soon. This guy from Moscow built a bot that auto swipes for him on Tinder. 
And that bot started using GPT Instruct and then moved to GPT Chat GPT, etc., and then moved to GPT 4. And he talks about how this bot kept improving with the improvements of AI. And then he auto swiped and kind of found himself a wife, basically. And then this was this took over the Russian X. I don't know if you guys are on the Russian side of X, but I definitely noticed that everybody, that's all they could talk about. This guy previously also did some shenanigans with OpenAI stuff. And so it was a very interesting conversation, unlike anything that I did previously on Thursday AI, and definitely that's coming more as a human interest story than anything else. But it's very interesting. And also, his fiance also joined, and we talked about the morality of all of this as well, and it was really fun. So if that kind of new type of content also interests you, definitely check out. That's probably not going to end up on X. So, And I think with this, it's time to get started. The usual way we get started here is I just run through everything that we have, just so you know what we're going to talk about. And then we're going to start with segment by segment. So that's... Hey, everyone, this is a recap of everything we talked about on Thursday I for February 8th. 2024 and we had a bunch of breaking new stuff today specifically around the fact that google finally gave us something but i'm going to do this recap properly based on the categories so let's go so in the category of open source llms we've talked about alibaba releases a bunch of new quen models specifically under the numbering 1.5 and we had the great pleasure again to talk with justin jingyang ling from quen team the guy who's a tech lead there and pushes for open source and he came up and talked about why this is a 1.5 model and not a 2 model he also talked about the fact that they released a tiny 0.5 billion one uh, this is like a very tiny large language model. I think it's really funny to say a tiny large language model, but uh, this is the case. And he talked about multiple releases for Quen. We also had friend of the pod, Piotr Skalski from Roboflow, who's like a, a vision expert who comes up from time to time uh, and the author of, I forget the name of the library. I will remember this and, and put this in the show notes as well. Uh, he came up and he had a bunch of plays with the vision part of the Quen ecosystem and we've talked about Quen VL Plus and Quen VL Max with Justin as well and we've talked about their potential for open sourcing these models they also released a 72 billion parameter model that's now part of the top of the hugging face leaderboard which is super cool so definitely a great conversation and I love it when the authors of the things that we talk about come out and talk about that in Thursday AI we then smo smoothly move to the next topic where Abacus the company Abacus AI they released fine tune that's now top of the hugging face leaderboard and that's based on Quen 72B and not even the new one, the previous one. So 1.0. 1, 1 and that's now the top model on Hug and Face leaderboard. And that has an average score of over 80. And I think it's the first open source model to do. And uh, they haven't fully released the process of what they what they used in order to make this much better and different leaderboards, but they have mentioned that they're going to train this model on top of the MeQ leak over Mixtrol, and uh, it's very interesting. And they also 
they're building some other stuff in in abacus as well very interesting and then we moved to talk about lmc's arena lmc's arena is the place that we send you to see which models users prefer better uh, versus just the, the benchmarks and evaluations hung in face lmc's arena added a bunch of open source models so shout out open chat again they had another hermes the fine tune that technium did for hermes on top of mixtrol and they also added a bunch of quen versions as well lmc's adds open source so you continuously can see which models are better and don't have to judge for yourself because sometimes it's not very easy. We also covered Gina embeddings. They're fine-tuned for code. Gina from the company Gina AI and the representative Bo Wang who came and he's a friend of the pod. We talked about their embeddings for code. Bo didn't show up this time, but maybe next time as well. Then we moved to big companies, LLMs and API, and definitely conversation turned interesting where multiple folks here on stage paid the new $20 tax, let's say, from AI for, for the rebranded Bard, now called Gemini, and the launch of Gemini Ultra. And we've talked about how long we've waited for Google to actually give us something like this. And now we're getting Gemini Ultra, and Bard is no more. Bard is essentially dead as, as a brand, and now we're getting the Gemini brand. So if you used to go to Bard, now you go to Gemini. But also the brain behind this also improved. So you get Gemini Pro by default for free, I think, and a Gemini Ultra is going to cost you 20 bucks a month. It's free for the next two months, so you can sign up for a trial, and then you'll get Gemini Ultra, and you'll get it not only in the web interface, you also get it in iOS and Android apps. And if you're on Android, it also integrates with the Android Assistant. That's pretty cool. It has a context length of not very much. I think we said eight or 16 or so, and some folks contested this in the comments. So we're still figuring out the context length, and it looks like the context length for that is restricted with the UI, less on the API side. And Gemini Ultra did not release in the API yet. So we've talked about Gemini Ultra and different things there. We also covered that OpenAI adds image metadata to all DALI generations, whether through the UI or through the API. This image metadata can be stripped. So it's not a watermark per se, but it's definitely helpful. And there also the OpenAI gives us a little bit of a developer experience thing where you can restrict per key on API keys, different possibilities. So if one key gets stolen, you can lock only that one, or you can restrict it to only like a specific use as well. In the vision video category, we've talked about a new model for background removal called RMBG from Bria AI. It's not a fully commercial license, but you can play with this now. There's a demo I'm gonna add to the show notes. And also it runs fully on your client via the efforts of friends of the pod, Zenova from Transformers.js. And it's pretty cool to have a model that removes background super like with two clicks with no back, with no servers. And in the voice and audio category, we talked about MetaVoice, a new licensed Apache 2 licensed text-to-speech model, not from Meta, even though it's called Meta Voice, and it's funny. It's pretty decent and has zero-shot voice cloning, which means that you can provide a piece of your voice and fairly quickly get a, your voice speaking back to you generated. And we also talked about breaking news from NVIDIA AI, something called Nemo Canary 1B, which is a ASR model, automatic speech recognition model, that's now top of the leaderboards on Hugging Face, and it beats Whisper on everything, including specifically for four languages. It's trained on 85,000 hours, 85, hours of annotated audio, and it's very fast conformer encoder as well. We barely covered this, but Microsoft added DALI editing with the designer. So if you remember, Microsoft also did a rebrand. It used to be called Bing Chat, and now it's called Copilot. And that Copilot now adds capabilities that don't exist in other places uh, like GPT, uh, GPT with DALI. So Microsoft's DALI now is involving the designer thing, and they have cool things where you can edit images 
on the fly. You can click on different segmented objects from your generated image and say, hey, redo this in a different style. The video for this is super cool. I'm going to add this in the show notes. And it's very interesting to see that Mali, Microsoft, with their co-pilot, is moving away from where the capabilities for ChatGPT exist. We also barely briefly mentioned and glanced through this, but Stability AI released an update to stable video diffusion, including a web UI that you can use now. Uh, and it's not only a model, it's a web UI as well. And that web UI is pretty cool. If you didn't get an access to it, uh, I'll add a link to the show notes. I think it's now possible to register a much nicer videos. And obviously it is in the open source as much as possible. So super cool. But the web UI shows you other people's video attempts. You can actually use their prompt to create videos of your own. They have some controls. It's very nice. Then I think we talked a little bit at the end there about Vision Pro and my experience with this as it comes to AI. We didn't dive in into Vision Pro, even though this is my new this is my new toy in life, and I'm very happy to participate in the renaissance of spatial computing. And we covered like the intersection of AI and, and spatial computing. And I think the very interesting part of today's Thursday AI was thanks to two new guests, uh, Benjamin Clavi and Connor from Wavy8. And we've talked about uh, DSPy and Colbert, or Colbert and Ragatui, which is a library to use Colbert embeddings. And we've talked about what they mean. And this was a great learning kind of experience for me. And if you see these concepts on your timeline and you have no idea what, what, what we talked about, I basically played the role of, hey, I'm the village dummy, let's say. I'm going to re-ask the question about what this means. Why should we use this as well? And I think this is our show today, folks. This is the quick summary. If I missed anything super big and important, please let me know. But otherwise, I think we'll start with open source. Open source AI, let's get it started. All right, welcome to the open source corner. And I guess because the tradition of Thursday AI is <laughs> something releases, I go in the comments and say, hey, I'm going to talk about this on Thursday AI. Do you want to join? And sometimes people say yes. And this is how we met Justin or Jun Yang here on stage. Jun Yang is the dev lead for the Quent team. And uh, welcome, Jun Yang. It's very late where you are, so I really appreciate your time here. Please feel free to unmute and introduce yourself again. Some folks already know you, but if in case some new folks are listening to us, feel free to introduce yourself and then let's talk about the stuff that you released. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Nice to be at Dusty AI. It's a very great program for us to talk about AI. I am Jun Yang, and you can call me Justin. I'm working in the Quinn team for the LM and LMM. And we are now working for uh, the new uh, LM Quen 1.5, and we are also upgrading our uh, uh, vision language model uh, Quen VL to Quen VL Plus and Max. Plus and Max are not open source yet, but uh, we have demos, so you can try in our Hugging uh, uh, Face organization, and you can find our demos, and you can try with Plus and Max. And the Max uh, is the best one, and I. I'm very confident uh, with the Max demo. And uh, about our language model uh, today, actually this week we are open sourcing Quen 1.5. Maybe you, you previously you have noticed the Quen 2 code inside Hugging Face, um, Hugging Face Transformers. Yeah, we are moving to new codes uh, for you to use uh, our Quen models because um, in the past few months, I have been interviewing our users 
and they found uh, some problems with now using our code, uh, the original Quen code. So I'm uh, moving a step forward. So uh, this is why we had uh, the Quen two model. But for the model uh, themselves, actually, we are we in our judgment, we are still at the one point five, not two yet. We're still training the real Quen two. So this time we have Quen one point five. Uh, for Quen one point five, we are actually fixing a lot of problems. Because there are some models like 7 billion and 14 billion, there are a lot of people using these models, but they are actually quite old. They are released months ago. They have some problems for, for Quen 14 billion. It is actually only supporting around 2 to 4K context length, uh, which is far from uh, enough for a lot of users. So uh, for this time, we have upgrading all models to supporting uh, 32,000 uh, 32, uh, tokens. And for the sizes, uh, we have released more sizes. Previously, we have 1.8, uh, which is the smallest one. But uh, this time, we had 0.5, uh, only 0.5. Uh, I used to think uh, this one is just for uh, experimental usage. But there are some users uh, in Twitter, they found uh, uh, still uh, 0.5 can use to be uh, do something. Uh, so if you have any comments on 0.5, you, you can share the comments to me. And we also have uh, 4 billion, which is uh, between 1.8 and 7 billion. The reason why we have 4 billion is that actually when we first released 1.8 billion, it is actually popular because they would like to deploy the small model to some devices like cell phones, but they found just 1.8 is not good enough for them to, for the applications. Though they want something just smaller than 7 billion, but much better than 0.8. So we have 4 billion. Yeah, we have a wide range of sizes. These are for you to choose. And so uh, six, six models problem. overall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, six sizes. Six sizes yeah, overall, six but sizes. definitely more models than this because you also released, I think for the first time, you released quantized versions as well, correct? No, but previously we have released GPTQ. Oh, this yeah. is our con convention, but this time I also have AWQ and also GGUF. Maybe GGUF is the new one. Admittedly, previously, I don't know too much about AWQ and GGUF, but this time I tried and everything is okay. So I just released uh, AWQ and GGUF. And GGUF is the new thing for me, but it is quite popular in the community. Like Elm Studio, like you introduced to me. And I found a lot of people using GUF, they use in Olama. So I collaborated with Olama. So you can now just run one line of code like Olama run Quen. So you can use the Quen models with Olama and you can also use it in Elm Studio. I just uh, want to pause, uh, no. just a tiny pause yeah. here, because I think, first yeah. of all, to highlight the importance of this community, you guys are releasing a bunch of <clears throat> great models in open source. And first yeah. of all, just uh, a Great attestment to the community because you're listening to what folks have been saying, how they're reacting to your models. And part of the Thursday night, I was able to just introduce you to, to LM Studio and you guys work together. And now the second your model drops, not only you guys already pro providing us quantized versions in 4 and GGF stuff, it's also very easy to start yeah. using. And I think just a shout out to, to you guys for thinking about this, because a lot of models, when they release, they just release a waste file, and then it's up on the community to figure out how to run them, when to run them, what's the problems. And uh, this was the issue with Quen before. It was like harder to use and maybe only on hug and face demos. And yeah. now you guys released it 
with support for the most popular open source runners out there. So Olama, if folks are, haven't used Olama by now, definitely there's a CLI, you just like Olama installed this, and LM Studio, which we've talked about a bunch. So shout out LM Studio, shout out Yags. And I'm, I was very happy to introduce both of you. So it's been great. And I've used the small model, the baby model as well. How was the reception from the community? What have you seen people do? Have there been any fine tunes already that you're excited about? Yeah, this is a very great comment for helping us to improve. Yeah, previously, like us, a lot of people just drop open source models and they just let the community to use it. But this is maybe this may be not right because we can do more to the community. Uh, maybe we can do things more easily than the community users. So this is why we are changing uh, our style, uh, we try to modify our code, uh, try to adapt to the usages to make our models more popular. And uh, recently I found them uh, just gradually fine-tune our, our models. Uh, previously, fine-tuned users are uh, inside uh, mainland China because they have chances to talk to us. So they will know more about our models so they, they can finally fine-tune it, but with the support of LlamaFed3 and especially Axolotl. Wingland helped me a lot. Take me, I'm just introduced Wingland to me. And I found some people are using Axolotl to do it. I don't know if Chen, uh, I don't know if I pronounced his name. He's one of the users of Quen and he, he previously got the usage of our models and then he quickly fine-tuned a lot of model. Its name is Q-U-Y-E-N. Oh, sta Stable Quan. Yeah, yeah, I think I, I know what the guys are talking about. Yeah. Stable Quan yeah, from yeah, also yeah. News Researcher. Yeah, Stable Quan. I'm quite familiar with him. I just talked to him very much, and he just directly uh, used our models. Very quickly fine-tuned uh, a series of models, and I find them the, the quality are quite good. So this is quite uh, encouraging for me because... Um, you, you can find people are uh, interested in your model, they can find you at uh, very fast speed. And I recently find uh, Smog uh, by Abacus AI, uh, but I, I got no chance to talk to them because I, I don't know who actually uh, built the model, but I found a Smog 72 billion is built on Quen 72 billion. And oh, they really? reached the top of open, open leaderboard. Well, yeah. Smog is you, the next thing we're going to talk about. So you're taking us exactly there. But I think, uh, Nistan, you have a question just before, and then we're going to move to talk about Smog. Just on the community part, just the, yeah. the names you mentioned. You mentioned Stable Quan, definitely friend of the pod. You mentioned Technium, introduced you to uh, Winglian, the guy from Axolotl. All of this happens in the Thursday Act community, yeah. and I love it. I'll just say that I see Robert yeah. in the audience here. Smog is from Abacus AI, and I think Robert has some connection to Bindu. So, Robert, if you can introduce Junyang to Bindu, that would be great. And then we'll figure out like how they use the 72B model. 72B yeah. model that you guys released is one of the more performant ones. I think it's even the outperforming Mistral Medium. Is that correct? Yeah, it's now this version when 1.572 billion is for the chat model. For the base model, it is actually quite similar. Some users have found that. Uh, I admit that. And But for the chat models, we have some improvements because this time we know not only, actually we not only SFT the model, but we also use DBO. We have some progress in DBO. So we've reached like 8.67 uh, 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 in empty bench. Uh, this is a relatively uh, high score. And uh, we, we just did simple DPO and just improved the model. And we also sent our model to uh, Chapel Arena uh, in Alamsys. Uh, 
uh, supported by uh, Together AI because uh, we have some friends in uh, Together AI. They just built API for us, and we have uh, been in uh, Chatbot Arena. So you can try it in uh, Chatbot Arena to see uh, uh, how it really performs. Uh, is it really perform just like uh, the the score of empty bench? I'm not quite sure because I'm also dependent on the user's uh, feedback. Yeah, it depends yeah. on human yeah. preference. I uh, So yeah. first of all, Justin, you're taking over my job now because you're also reporting on the stuff that I wanted to mention, but definitely a shout out for getting added yeah. to LMSYS. That's not super easy. Not every model out there on the yeah. Hugging Face leaderboard gets added there. So definitely super cool. Yeah, yeah please go ahead. If you yeah. have anything else uh, to add. For uh, as you have mentioned, uh, Mistral Medium, uh, I'm not sure uh, uh, which one is better, uh, Mistral Medium or um, Quen 72 billion. From some reviews, they might be similar for the Quen 1.5 72 billion, similar to EQ. Some of my friends like Blade just tested in EQ Bench. The scores are very similar, but uh, I need some more reviews to uh, let me really know that how the 72 billion model really performed and how is it better or is it worse than EQ? Uh, they're all okay for me. I just want real reviews for me. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Awesome. Julian, thank you for joining us. And Easton, go ahead. You have a few questions, I think, about uh, the interesting things about uh, VL. Yeah, so one thing is that the 0.5 beast and the small models, I know yeah. Nova in the audience was specifically looking for one around that size or like a 0.3 to run on WebGPU because then even at 32-bit, which older browsers will still support, it it will still only take two gigs. So that, that would run anywhere. But my question, uh, so shout out follows Zenova for all that. I know he's going to do something with it. But my question for you was more about the Max and the the larger Quen uh, Quen VL chats. Are those also based off of the seventy two B? And did you find more improvements in going with a larger LLM? And uh, I also wanted to know your opinion on Lava, the Lava one point six method, where they mosaic together for clip models on top to get a larger image, even though it slows down inference because now it's got to output like 2,000 embeddings. So yeah, what do you think of yeah. Lava? And and uh, is, is there more stuff to to share about the Quantum VL Max? Yeah, for Plus and Max, it may be, sorry for me, not ready to open source it. Uh, I cannot decide these things. Yeah, actually, it's built on larger language models, much larger than the plus. And you can guess whether it is 72 billion. Now, it is not that important. And we have found that uh, the scaling of the language model uh, is really important uh, for the understanding of the VL models. And we have tested it on the MMMU benchmark, and we have found that the uh, max model is highly more com competitive and performs much better than the QuenBR Plus. Although previously, many people have thought that QuenBR Plus is strong enough, but we found that the Max uh, had much better reasoning capabilities. Just understand some something like some reasoning games like poker or these things like that, some complex things that people can understand through the vision information. They can somehow understand it. I think the performance might be this 
approaching Gemini Ultra or GPT-4B for the QuantVR Max. Well, we're just gathering some reviews. Uh, I'm not quite sure, but the gap is not that long. From yeah. the review perspective, I want to say hi to Peter, our friend here on stage from uh, Roboflow. Yep. Peter is the, the, the vision, one of the vision experts here on stage. Peter, welcome. Feel free to introduce yourself briefly, but I definitely know that you got excited about some of the QuantVR plus stuff. So definitely feel free to, to share some of your uh, insights here. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, first of all, awesome to, to meet somebody from Plan Team. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm from Roboflow, like you said, uh, and I'm responsible there for computer vision and growth. So it's like in, in between of being ML engineer and marketing, something like this. And yeah, I was experimenting with Quen Plus and Max last week. Super impressed. In my opinion, uh, I'm, I know that you tried to be humble maybe, but in my opinion, it's in, at least on things that I test, it performs like the best compared to other models. Thank so, you very much. Thanks for the appreciation. Yeah. Yeah. And, and especially the fact, so the biggest game changer for me, and I know that there were models that were capable of that before, is the fact that you can ground those uh, predictions and you can, for example, point to a specific element on the image. So it's not only that you can ask questions and get answers and do OCR, but you can straight up do zero shot detection if you would like, Yeah, which is, which is awesome. Uh, and that's something that none of the other popular models can do to that extent, at least on, on, on the things that I tested. My question is, do you plan to open source it? <laughs> because it's awesome that you can try it out for the API and I highly yeah. appreciate that you created the native space and you can go there and try it. But is there a chance that you will open source it even with limiting license or not necessarily? Yeah, personally, I would like to uh, open source them, but I cannot decide these things. But I think there's a chance I'm still promoting these things inside of Corp. I, I cannot say too many things about these stuff, but we, we'll try because we have found out that we ourselves can also build very good MM. I, I think the gap uh, just between the big Corp, between us and the big Corp, in LMM, it's very small, and we have found that our techniques or our pre-training is quite effective. So maybe one day we'll share to the community, but for now, it is still APIs and demos, and I will try to think about these things. And also the question about the comparison with us and Lava, and I have just tried Lava 1.6, not quite frequently, I just tried it. I think it's a very good model and it, it has very good performance in the benchmark results. But I think the limitations of these other open source models may be that it still lacks a sufficient pre-training for them. Skolska just said we can do, Quen can do OCR and, and you can find that Quen's reasoning capability is quite strong because we have done a lot of pre-training work on it. We have done a lot of data engineering on for training because we have capabilities of handling different resolutions and different aspect ratios so that we can use the curated the OCR data and put them in the pre-training 
And when the vision language model can understand a lot of textual, like linguistic information inside the images, they may do something like, like we said, reasoning, and you will find that really powerful, very impressive, or things like that. Yeah, I think the gap between other models and us, or also Gemini Ultra and GPT-4B, may be still the lack of large-scale data for training. Yeah, this so, is my opinion. So we're waiting for, for more data, and but, but we're also waiting for you guys to... Uh, I just want to... Thank you for being the champion yep. for open source from within the organization and really appreciate like all your releases as well. I think uh, Piotr and Nistin, like everybody here on stage definitely feels that. And thank you for coming and talking about this, Justin. Feel free to stick around because the next thing we're going to talk about, you already mentioned, which is Smog72B, yep. which is the top of the leaderboard. And I just read through the thread from Binduredi from Abacus AI, and it looks like they didn't even use 1.5. I think they used 70, the previous Quen. Yeah, they used the previous Quen uh, 72B. Uh, if they are really based on the base language model, there might not be a lot of differences because 1.5 for the base language model 72B is actually slightly better than the original 72B for the base language model. For, for the base ones. And very interesting yeah, what they for use the there. Base one. So they yeah. they don't share any techniques, but they promise to open source their techniques. They're saying like our next goal will be to publish these techniques as a research paper and apply them to some of the best Mistral models, including MiQ. So I got confused. I thought that yeah. they already fine-tuned MiQ, but no, they just fine-tuned on top of Quen. And now the top Hagenface leaderboard model is based is a fine-tune of Quen, which is like also super cool. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> yeah, congrats. Uh, they were using our models to be the top of the model. I'm also really expecting their technical report to see how they reached the uh, top of the benchmark. But yeah, very interesting. It, it is yeah. not that. It is not that kind of difficult because you have a lot of ways to improve your performance in the benchmark. So we'll we'll still see uh, how it really performs in the real scenarios, especially for their chat models. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That, that's often the case. But I just want to shout out the, the world is changing like super fast. We're definitely watching and monitoring the Hagenface leaderboard and uh, performing mm. better than Mistral Medium is impressive. And this looks at least on the MMLU, this is 77. I think they said they broke the average score of 80. This is the first model that broke the average score of 80 on the open source leaderboard on Hagenface, which is super cool based on Quen as well and definitely worth it. I'm going to add this link to the show notes and hopefully we'll find a way to connect you guys with the Bindu team there at Abacus to see how else this can be improved even for and whether or not these techniques can be put on smaller models as well. I think in the open source... Yeah, I'm the last really expecting the chat. Yeah, yeah, I'm really expecting to chat with them. Yeah, continue. Yeah. So definitely ho hoping that uh, some of our friends can connect between these awesome teams and learn from each other, which I think is the benefit of speaking in the public and putting things in open source. Now, moving on, the last thing that you definitely mentioned is the update from LMSYS, which is quite a few of our friends of the pod are now uh, also part of the chatbot arena. They just announced this yesterday. Yep. They've added three of your versions, right? They added 1.572B, 1.57B, 1.54B, and they also added OpenChat. So it's out of the folks from OpenChat, Alpi and the Alignment Lab and some other friends of ours who like release OpenChat's latest release. And they also added news Hermes Mixtral fine-tune. So if you guys remember, we've talked about news fine-tuning on Mixtral and that improved on the mixture of experts model from 
from Mistral a little bit based on DPO data set. So now that's also in the LMC Serena. And it's now powered by Together Compute, which I have no affiliation with besides the fact that they're awesome. They're sponsoring a bunch of stuff and we did the hackathon together. Together is great. Like you can easily fine tune stuff on their platform. But now they're also sponsoring the arena at least to, to some extent, which is great because we get more models and arena keeps going. And if you guys remember, or you probably use it, LMC Serena is this another great way for us to feel what human preference is in models. And for many of these models, that's what's more important than actual performance on evaluations on leaderboards, etc. So definitely great update from LMCs as well. And I think that I'm going to ask my folks here on stage, but Aniston Farrell, if this is like anything else in open source that's super interesting this week, I think that's mostly it. We can talk about Gemini. There was a data set, which I think is pretty huge of hacker known that they released. And oh, there was one more thing. Hackingplace made a GPT store. Oh, they, they made their own GPT store. That's true. Yes. I, I wanna, think that's a big I want to hear about this for so. sure. I haven't used it yet, but I, I invite the Hackingplace folks uh, that are listening to this to, to come and tell us about the, this because I haven't used it yet. So I don't actually have many opinions. Uh, but yeah, they released like their own like open source uh, GPT store, which is super cool. Um, and we're going to add this maybe in the show notes, but I don't have a lot to, to say about this. And I think in this in oh, the spirit... Start. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I'll quickly say that the Hacker Noon data set of tech articles, those are some, because they have a lot of guest developers. I remember over the years, they had the best ones. Those articles, that data set, is extremely great for any kind of coding or website or whatever work he, you're, you're doing. That's because it's step-by-step -step instructions on how to build something and all the codes for it. It's pretty awesome. It's at the very beginning on the Jumbotron, if you guys see from Daniel Benstream. And uh, yeah, and it's MIT license. And it's 6.9 million articles, and you can do whatever you want with it. Awesome. That, shout out to them. We'll yeah. add this again to the show notes. And as you said something about uh, articles and code, I remembered another thing that definitely also worth mentioning. Gina Embeddings, if you guys remember, we had the chat with Bo Wang from Gina, a deep dive into Embeddings a while ago, and Gina Embeddings released a fine-tune for code. So just a quick shout out that Embeddings can be fine-tuned, Embedding models can be fine-tuned for specific purposes, and definitely Embeddings for code. And you guys remember, if those of us who follow from week to week, we talk about embeddings a lot. We've talked about Nomics embeddings last week, the open source fully, including the training data sets. We've talked about OpenAI changing embeddings and giving us new ones and cheaper ones. And Gina, we, we had a deep dive and I, I definitely welcome you to go and check out that special episode with Bo Wang from Gina. And they trained their own BERT model as the backbone, the LLM backbone that decides about embeddings. And they just released an update to their embeddings, fine-tuned for code retrieval specifically. And I think for many folks who are building rack system, that's something that they should be aware of, that embedding models can be also fine-tuned for specific purposes like Q&A and obviously code as well. So if you haven't tried that yet and you're doing a bunch of retrieval on top of code, for example, using some of the data sets that Nathan just mentioned, that probably there's code in there, definitely check this out. I think we're moving on to the big company thing, and I don't have a big company transition. I do have this one, though. AI breaking news. Coming at you only on Thursday I. Just in, as we started the space, maybe an hour before, our friends from the Big G 
Google finally answered the question that we've been asking since 10 months and three weeks ago, where is Google? So GPT-4 was released to us after ChatGPT released in, I want to say December, maybe December 1st, November 31st of 2022. Then GPT-4 was released in March of 2023. And throughout this time, there was this famous video of Satya uh, Nadella asking, where is Google and where's this like 600 pound gorilla in the room of search? And we're going to make them dance. And they definitely made them dance. And we've been waiting. Where's Google? Where's Google? And Google has released quite a few stuff for us since then. Just for context, I think everybody knows this already. Google is the place of the birth of the Transformer paper. So like most of this, the recent Gen AI explosion is can be attributed to Transformers architecture that came out from Google. Google had trained multiple models, including like Palm, and we've talked about Palm and, and Palm 2. And I don't even remember all the names of the models that they've released for us throughout the years. Google then also at some point gave us Bard, which is their interface, the chat interface that people used in order to play with their models. And I think some of this was Palm, some, something else as well. And recently, and I think around December, they said, hey, you know what? We're here and we have this thing called Gemini after the unification of Google Brain and DeepMind under one org. And we're going to give you Gemini Pro right now, but we'll tell you that Gemini Ultra, that was back in December, the Gemini, I guess December, we'll tell you the Gemini Ultra is coming and it's going to be better than GPT-4 and you're going to get it soon. And we've been like saying when, and today is the day, is the answer for, for those questions. So today we're celebrating, congrats folks at Google who finally released and upgrade to their LLM capabilities. Not only an upgrade, so much an upgrade that they've killed the Bard brand completely. No more Bard. That's what I'm understanding. No more Bard, even though that's very confusing. If you guys remember, a few weeks ago, we talked about LMSYS changes, where Bard with Gemini, I think, something like confusing like this, shot up to the top of the charts and it just it was trailing GPT-4. So like second best model in LMSYS Arena was Bard with GPT-4. Four, or sorry, Bard with Gemini. See how confusing this is? And now there's no more Bard, but there is an LMCS. Anyway, this is like the, the whole naming is confusing thing. But Google, uh, including a blog post from Sundar and everything, Google comes out with a new update and says, hey, Bard is no more. It's now Gemini. And the models are also Gemini. So that's confusing. And the models are Gemini Ultra. We finally get access to Google's answer to GPT-4 today, which is incredible. That answer is Ultra 1.0. And we can get this as part of something like a paid premium tier that's called Gemini Advanced on Google. So you can actually go right now. You can sign up. It's 20 bucks a month. And it starts 20 bucks or 30 bucks? I think it's 20 bucks. It's two months free. Yeah. And you get right two, months, two months trial because they have to prove themselves to you. Because many people will decide whether or not they're going to go with Google or with ChatGPT. And we're going to talk about which one folks will prefer. I haven't tried it yet. Literally, as I woke up, I had to prepare my notes for the space. I just want to say, Google, welcome to the party. We've been waiting for you. And <laughs> I counted. It's been exactly 10 months and three weeks and four days since GPT-4 released that you came with the same level of, at least ba based on benchmarks. And now we're going to talk with some folks who actually tried it. Nisten, you tried it. I think, Ray, you also tried it. Let's talk about your first impressions from BART. Oh, or, sorry, Gemini. One, it's heavily moderated. No one's surprised by that. It does answer and reason nicely, or at least the way it communicates, it's a lot more eloquent, I would say. 
it, it feels nicer in the way it reasons stuff out. However, compared to uh, Mistral Medium or Mixtral, it doesn't quite obey you. Uh, I tried my standards question, which is just like plan out a schedule of building a city on Mars and write the code in C++ and JavaScript. And that's a pretty complex question for that only the best models get. And I needed to reprompt it in order for it to give the answer. And even then, it only wrote some JavaScript, but it was really good JavaScript. However, it didn't do the rest of the task. Okay, it's not bad. It, it is worth using. Again, very heavily moderated. As for the vision side of it, it's extremely heavily moderated. I was even telling it to just count out. I had an old gaming PC on the floor with two GPUs on the side, and I told it to make me a JSON of all the parts that it sees in the picture. It won't answer questions like that have humans in them, or even if they're like Star Wars characters or whatever. But this, I thought, would be something pretty simple. And they, even this one, it refused to answer. Yes is good. I think on the as far as the vision side goes, the model, the open source models might have it already beat or will soon. Yeah, I want to add on Kesh from uh, Google DeepMind actually wrote, because I've been posting some of this stuff, and he says, to preempt any confusion, multimodal queries don't go through pro slash ultra yet, but that is coming soon too, which makes sense a little bit of why you're seeing some of that stuff. Uh, I've, I've been seeing similar things when uh, I've been doing some image analysis uh, or even trying to generate images that have people. Uh, one of my examples I've just been posting on my my Twitter feed is like having it analyze a meme. So it's the hot girls meme <laughs> or the, the hot ones meme. And it's like, hey, this is very popular. Can you tell me what this meme is? And it's, I'm sorry, I can't because there's images of people. And then I had to do some other meme analysis with Elon Musk and it's the same type of queries. But to, to add to what Nistin was saying, um, I've been doing a lot of creative writing, writing tasks and the, the writing output has been actually really nice. And it's, it doesn't have all that extra fluff that you normally would get from ChatGPT4. Uh, uh, and what I find with uh, OpenAI's ChatGPT4 is that they frequently say, hey, don't use full prose, which is all that extra fluffy stuff you read that make people sound smart. And so I just want a regular sounding piece. Um, and usually ChatGPT would do that and then revert back to its normal uh, state. But I find that Gemini Advanced just keeps going through it and continues with the writing pieces of things. And for coding stuff, it's really strange. You actually cannot upload any CSV or any text files. They only let you upload images right now. So you can only have a picture of a microphone and a picture of the little icon to upload an image. Because I want to just do a simple analysis on my tweets with a CSV file. And so there's no place that I see to actually upload that. And I could probably upload so many lines, but there's also a character cutoff too that doesn't allow me to upload a lot of code for a code base. What's, what's the, I was about to say this next thing. Do we know the context length? Anybody have an idea where Gemini Ultra is at around? Because we know that GPT-4 is 128K and I think they recently opened this up on the UI as well. I've been noticing less restrictions. I've been able to paste like a lot more code. My my test is, you guys know, my test is the transcription of the Thursday I conversation that I paste and a cloud with a 100K context definitely takes all of it. GPT-4, the, the pro kind of level, used to refuse. And now recently it's, okay, yeah, let me summarize this for you. Uh, have you guys been able to sense the context length of Gemini Ultra? Is it any close? Actually, go ahead. Welcome to the stage, buddy. Mm, hello. I uh, just just wanted to bring up that 
their official Wait, document mentions get, that it's it okay on text length. Akshay, we don't get greetings of the day. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah. Greetings of the day, everybody. Amen. Welcome My name back. is uh, Akshay Kumar Gautam, and I'm an applied AI engineer. Uh, I was a data scientist before, but now I work with modeling and stuff. And yeah, I was literally waiting for it. Right, came out. I paid for it because why not? And and a lot of stuff. First of all, it's really good at coding. By the way, the contact length is 32k. Ooh. At least that's what they say. Yeah, 32k. And and the model is not good at keeping context. Like that is what I was here to talk about. It will lose sense. For example, if you ask it to do multiple things in a single prompt, it will not. Unlike ChatGPT, but like with coding, it's better than ChatGPT in my humble opinion. So. I want to talk about some advantages that Google has, the big dog, definitely, because an additional thing that they released, which ChatGPT doesn't have, is ChatGPT has this, but they released an iOS and Android app, but Android also has an integration with the Google Assistant, right? So you can now join this advanced or ultra tier and use this from your Android device. Now, I'm not an Android user, but I definitely understand that the ecosystem is vast and many people just use this assistant, and we're waiting for Apple. We don't have anything to say about Apple specifically today, besides the fact that they released the, maybe the next era of computing. But there's nothing AI series, still the same series from like 2019 with some examples. But Google has now moved everybody who wants to, who pays the 20 bucks a month and has an Android device basically towards this level of intelligence, basically a GPT-4 level of intelligence. And I saw that Marquez Brownlee, MKBHD on YouTube, like one of the best tech reviewers out there, he has been playing with the Android stuff. And he said that even the integration in Google Assistant even uses your home stuff. So you can actually ask this level of intelligence to, to turn on some lights, whatever, and probably better context. Actually, you have any comments on this? Have you played with the Assistant version? No, two things. First of all, Bing Chat was already available on Android devices. Right, the Copilot now it's called. Copilot uses GPT-4, so it's already really good. And you can actually use uh, a lot of voice stuff with Copilot as well, which was surprising. The Google Assistant, to be honest, in terms of assistance among Siri and I have a Samsung device, so it has Bixby and among all the AI systems, Google Assistant was the best one by far in terms of how much you can use it. And hoping to get access because I have paid for the Ultra, but I still don't have access to everything also there's no api for ultra so you cannot actually test anything yeah well. so far we haven't gotten an api developers sundar pitch i said the developers announcements are going to come next week ios hasn't updated okay. yet yeah go ahead Nissan. i just really quickly tested it with the entire llama cp file i am down to fifteen thousand tokens i cut it down to and it's still too long we know it's under 16,000 that you can paste in. Uh, I will know exactly in, in a few minutes. So not super, super impressive in terms of like long context. I will also add yeah, this one thing. At least not for the UI. Not for the UI. Usually, yeah, not. usually for some reason they restrict the UI or they forget to update this. And then the, the, the model itself is like way longer context. But for now, not extremely impressive comparatively. And again, we're comparing the two like main flagship models, OpenAI GPT-4 and now Google's Gemini Ultra. And I also want to say one thing. Gemini seems to be optimized only for English as well, even though it will answer like most of the uh, questions other languages. But it looks like the optimization was focused on English as well including some of the apps as well, which is understandable, but we have to, as we're trying to compare apples to apples, GPT-4 is incredibly versatile in multi-language 
operations as well. LDJ, you have some comments? Uh, welcome, buddy, to the stage and give us some. Have you played with Ultra so far? Yes, I was actually wondering, does anybody know of plans for them to integrate this with Google Home? Because I just asked my Google Home right now, are you Gemini? And it said, I'm a Virgo. <laughs> and then I asked it, what AI model are you running right now? It said, sorry, I don't understand. So I don't think it's, at least mine, I don't think is running Gemini right now. But no, I, so I like think the announcement like the was place to put it. the integration into Google Home will come from the Google Assistant. So if you have an Android device, you'll have Google Assistant there that you can switch on like a smarter brain and that you can ask it to integrate like with your home through the device. So you can ask it to do stuff in your home. But the Google Home itself, like the, the Google Home devices that you have, they're not talked about upgrading them, but maybe at some point, because why not? Uh, but I haven't seen anything on this yet. Anything okay, else here? Yeah. On... I think that would be the perfect. Sorry, yeah, go on. Yeah, no, that would be I... great. I, I agree with you. Being able to walk around your house and just talk with GPT-4 level intelligence to, to do operations, I definitely agree. That would be great. I got to wonder, anything else here on Ultra? We've talked about its code performance. We've talked about its uh, inability to talk about people. Anything else interesting that we want to cover so far? And again, folks, it's been two hours and we're already giving you like a bunch of info, but we'll all play with this going forward. It's about 8,000, the context length that you can Are you it. serious? That's wow, it. that's not a yeah, lot at all. That's as much. I was able to paste in like 7,500. So yeah, folks, you heard it here first. You'll get more context than you previously got probably, but it's not a lot comparatively, even though it can probably, it's probably a consideration of compute for Google, right? How much context to give you? The model probably gets more. And it's also a vision-enabled model. But I think that we've covered this enough. Gemini Ultra is here. It's very impressive from Google. And yet, I want to say personally, maybe a little bit underwhelming because they need to convince us to move. And it's going to be the same price. And I don't know. Let me just ask this before we move on. Anybody here on stage who has access to both plans to pay for this and not GPT? I haven't paid for anything since September, but I'm not the right person for this question. <laughs> my company pays for like my chat GPT subscription, so I might keep both. Interesting. I'm paying for mine's out of pocket. I'm just going to keep both. I like the uh, OpenAI app because it just the multimodal picture on my phone. I'm on the go. For Google, I'm just curious because it's two months free. That just means that they have me hooked. We'll see. Yeah, it's two months free, and then let's check in back in two months and see how many of us uh, kept paying. All right, so Google also releases a Llama CPP wrapper called Local LLM. I don't know if you guys saw this. And it's pretty cool. It's an open source uh, tool from Google that actually helps you run uh, LLMs locally on CPUs and then also on the Google Cloud with a super easy integration. Very interesting choice. They also call out uh, the bloke that you can download uh, models from the bloke with their tool. And I think it's very funny that if you go on the description of the blog of local LLM, they call this, now the, the tool, they told you in the code snippets, they, they say, hey, install OpenAI. So <laughs> I found it really funny. But yeah, they have a wrapper there that integrates with, with Google Cloud as well. Running through the big companies' areas like super quick, OpenAI added watermarks to DALI images. They use this new metadata thing called C2PA embeds, and it embeds in the metadata. And so basically what this means for us is not that much, but when you download images from DALI generated, I assume that the same will come to Microsoft Copilot. They will now have in the metadata where like the location is and everything else, they will now have the fact that they have been generated with 
they have been generated with DALI, the, this information will sit in the metadata. Now, it's only images, not text or voice or anything else from OpenAI. This happens over the API or from the ChatGPT interface as well. This increases the file size a little bit because of some of the stuff, but it's not super interesting. This can be stripped. So it doesn't mean that if the lack of presence of this thing does not mean that it's not generated with DALI. It just, if there is, it's definitely generated with DALI. And so this is an interesting attempt from OpenAI to say, hey, we're doing as much as we can. It's not foolproof, but an interesting attempt. And also, I just want to mention that if for those of us who develop with OpenAI, the API keys, they keep upgrading the developer experience there. <laughs> And the, the API keys part, and now you can restrict, per API key, you can restrict its usage. Which, uh, many people have been waiting for a long time. And that's really, like, many people have been wanting this. You can create one API key for OpenAI for a specific purpose and restrict it to only DALI, for example. And uh, you can, I don't know if you can restrict based on credits. I don't think so. But you can definitely restrict in, in the usage related stuff. That's, I think, all the updates from the big companies and uh, LLMs and APIs. This week's buzz is the corner, and I stopped the music uh, too prematurely. This week's buzz is the corner where I talk about the stuff that I learned in Weights and Biases this week. And I don't know how many of you were had a chance to join our live seg segments, but we definitely had a build week. And I think I mentioned this before, but actually we had a live show on Monday. We're going to have another one this, probably tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow at I think it's noon Pacific, where I interview my team, the Growth ML team in Weights and Biases, about the build with projects that we've built uh, last December to try and see what's the latest and greatest in this world. So as we build tools for you in this world, we also want to build uh, internal tools to see what are the latest uh, techniques and stuff like we just talked about, for example. It gives us a chance to play around with them. It's like an internal hackathon. And what happened was is we build those tools and we present them to the company and then this was basically it. And I said, hey, hold on, hold on a second. I learned the best publicly. I learned the best about the, the way I just learned from Connor and, and Benjamin. I learned from Nistin and Pharrell and all the folks in the audience. And uh, Luigi and I had a whole section where he taught me weights and biases before. I learned the best by being public and talking about what I'm learning as I'm learning this. And so I did the same thing with our folks from the Growth ML team. We just literally folks came up on stage and I asked them about what they built and what they learned. And we kind of summarize those learnings in the live show. And that live show, if you're interested, is all over our social. So on weights and biases, YouTube and LinkedIn Yes, LinkedIn. I now need to also participate in that whole thing. Uh, so if you have tips about LinkedIn, let me know. But it's live on LinkedIn, live on uh, YouTube. I think we did X as well and nobody came. We'll probably try to send you to the live YouTube flow. But basically, the second part of this is coming up tomorrow. We're interviewing three more folks and you get the, to meet the team that I'm, the incredible team that that, that I'm part of, uh, very smart folks like Kaggle Masters. And uh, some of them came to Kano's show as well, which is super cool. And I find the first conversation super interesting and insightful for me. Definitely recommend if you're into understanding how to build projects that actually work within companies, what's the process? And we have folks who built something from scratch. We have somebody who runs a, a actual bot with retrieval and re-ranking and evaluations and like all these things and have been running them for, for a year, basically on the production. So you can actually try our bot in, in Discord right now and in Slack and, and on GPTs. If you want to hear about the difference between a mature rag-based uh, bot that's in production for a professional AI company, but also the difference between that and uh, something that somebody can like quickly build in a week 
uh, we talk about those differences as well. So definitely worth checking out that live. Moving on from this week's buzz, and I learned a lot. Okay, so back from the, the this, this week's buzz, we're moving into vision. And I just want to mention Bria AI like super quick. They released a new background segmentation model or background removal model uh, that's live on Hug and Face. It's called RMBG V1.4. And I think the cool thing about this is that it now runs completely in the browser thanks to the efforts of our friend Zenova, who is no longer in the audience, I think, from Hug and Face and Transformers.js. And super cool. You can like remove backgrounds completely without sending any images to anywhere and just straight from your browser. That model is called, again, RMBG, and it's not commercially viable, so you cannot use this for professional stuff, but it's open for you to try and play with. In the voice category, the voice and audio category, we don't have a lot of audio stuff lately. So I think the main audio stuff that we've talked about was, I wanna say, Suno is like the latest and greatest, but we're still waiting for some cool music creation stuff from different labs and definitely i know some of them are coming but in the voice category and you know that we've been talking about my position on this and i think nistin and i shared this position i think personally the faster models will come out that can clone your voice and the faster they're going to come out in open source the better it is generally for society i know it's a hot take i know but i know also i cannot reveal the source I know that uh, voice cloning tech is going to be at open source like super, super quick. And I think it's like one of those break the dam type things that the first kind of major lab will release a voice cloning and then everybody will see that nothing happened in the world. Everybody else will release theirs. And we know everybody has one. We know for a long time that Microsoft has, I want to say Valley, was that Valley? That clones your voice in under three seconds. There's papers on this from every company in the world. We know that OpenAI has one. They collaborated with Spotify and they cloned Lex Friedman's voice and it sounds exactly like Lex Friedman. We know that companies like Hagen, for example, I think they use Eleven Labs. Eleven Labs has voice cloning as well. None of this is open source. Everything is proprietary. So we're still waiting for the voice cloning area from open source from a big company. But for now, we got something called MetaVoice from a smaller company, not from Meta. It's just called MetaVoice. It's confusing. It's just like a tiny model, 1.2 billion parameters model. It's trained on 100K hours of data, which is quite significant, but not millions of hours. And it supports zero-shot voice cloning. So basically, under a few samples like a basic sample of your voice and then it, you're going to get a clone of your voice or somebody else's which is what scares many people in this area it has like long form synthesis as well it's super cool and it has emotional speech if you guys remember we've talked about how important emotion is in voice cloning because again for those of you who follow thursday for a while you may remember myself voice cloned in kind of russian and uh, I'm doing this with a lot of excitement. When, when a regular voice cloning thing for Alex speaks in a monotone voice, that's very clearly not the same kind of person. So emotional speech is very important. And some of this is with prompt engineering and some of this happens in voice casting or voice acting. And the best part about this MetaVoice thing is Apache 2 license. And it sounds pretty good. And so we've talked about multiple TTS models. And now this model is definitely out there. So if you're building anything and you want a TTS model for you with voice cloning, I think this is now the best the best shot you have. It's called MetaVoice. I'm going to be adding this to the show notes as well. And I think we have a breaking news from our friend VB with another model called Nemo. So let's take a look. Yeah, definitely a new model from NVIDIA. It's called Nemo. Uh, let me actually use this. I, I want to use the, the sound as much as possible. 
AI breaking news coming at you only on Thursday I. So I'm gonna go and try and this, uh, find this tweet for you. But basically, we have a breaking news. Literally, Rich VB, which is the guy, friend of the pod of ours, who's in charge of like all the cool voice-related and TTS-related tech and hugging face. He mentioned that Nvidia AI released Nemo Canary. Nemo Canary is the top of OpenASR leaderboards. VB is also part of the folks who are running the leaderboard for us. ASR stands for Automatic Speech Recognition. No, I think I'm confusing yes. this. Yeah. Yes, automatic speech recognition. Cool. Thank you, Nistan. So basically, if you guys remember Whisper, we talked about Whisper a lot. This is this is the leaderboard. And Whisper has been on top of this leaderboard for a while. Recently, NVIDIA has done some stuff with, with stuff like Parakeet. Uh, and now we have a new contender in the ASR leaderboard called Nemo Canary 1B. 1B is not that much. Uh, Whisper... The highest Whisper large, I think it's 2.5B or something. This is now the top SR leaderboard. It beats Whisper and it beats Seamless from Meta as well. And I don't know about license here. It supports four languages. Whisper obviously supports 100, which is, uh, <laughs> which is we know, the, the best for many kind of low resource languages as well. Trained on not that much hours of, of annotated audio, only 85,000 hours or so. And uh, it's it's super fast as well. It's very interesting that NVIDIA does s multiple things in this area. We had Parakeet, now we have Canary as well. What else should we look at? I think it beats Whisper in a considerable, considerable margin, again, on these specific languages. Folks, we've been, I think, we've been on this trend for a while, and I think it's clear. Incredible automatic speech recognition comes on device very soon. Like we're, this trend is very obvious and clear. Uh, I will uh, add my kind of thoughts on this from somebody who used Whisper in production for a while. The faster it comes on device, the better. And specifically, I think this will help me talk to, about the next topic. Let's see what else I have to cover. Yeah, I think it's pretty much it. Uh, the next topic is- I'm yeah. trying it right now, by the way, and it's pretty good. Are you transcribing say, me in real time or what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I was transcribing your voice through, through the phone to my laptop. But weirdly enough, it doesn't output numbers. It only outputs words. Interesting. However, it seems pretty good. I don't know, seems, seems good to me. <laughs> LGTM looks good to me. Yeah, looks good to me. Absolutely. The word error rate, the word error rate for Whisper is around 8%, I think, on, on average for these languages. And for Canary, it's, it's less than it's 5. I think, if I remember correctly, VB told us that word error rate is like how many mistakes per 100 words it does. And this is the 5 mistakes versus 8. I think on the general data sets, uh, quite incredible. This is coming. And I think I'll use this to jump to the next thing. The next thing, and briefly we'll cover this, is that uh, I haven't... Uh, used it for the show, but uh, for the past, since last Friday, basically, I've been existing in reality and in augmented virtual spatial reality from Apple. And the reason I, I finally has a, has a chance to connect these two things is because I use a lot of the hand gestures within the Vision Pro from Apple, which was released on Friday, and a lot of voice as well. And obviously, we've talked about Siri, we've talked about finally Google stepping up with their assistant. Siri, voice recognition and also typing is not that great. And I know because I used Whisper in production for a bunch, I also use Super Whisper, shout out Neil, on my Mac to actually dictate a bunch. And all those tools, all the new tools, Whisper and now Canary, and like all these things, they understand me and my accent very well. Whereas Siri is like on device. So Siri actually has two automatic speech recognition. They have the fast one on device and they actually do send your uh, voice 
on onto the cloud and they, they return something. So you would actually see a wrong transcription and then the right one replaced the wrong one. And the, the right one is actually generally okay, even though with my accent doesn't get me as much, but the wrong one is, is very bad. It's, it's like they stopped thinking about ASR, automatic speech recognition in Apple back in 2019, and that's what they shipped. However, there, there were quite a few papers from Apple on this topic, and I know for a fact that we're getting on device. And the reason I'm excited about this in the spatial context as well is because you can talk instead of using hands to, on keyboard, and that's very cool. And I think that's all I had to connect with the spatial computing. In addition to, I've tried all the AI tools and games and everything, and we're still not there. There has been one thing that I want to connect, um, if you guys know from the diffusion model area, there's a way to generate images in 360 around you. And I thought this was super cool because this is essentially a holodeck moment where you can stand in full virtual embedded reality and just say, hey, I want this thing to appear. And we have now models of text to 3D that are coming like super soon. We obviously have uh, virtual friends that embodying them in real space needs a robot. But now if you have this like spatial computing thing, you can actually put an AI friend in the corner. It will always talk to you. So there's a few like attempts at this in the Apple thing, but not a lot. And also I will ping back to this like last thing where Apple is coming. We've talked about this. Apple is coming on Friday of release of Vision Pro, which was a day after last Thursday. I, Apple had their uh, shareholder meeting. And in there, Tim Cook said, hey, we launched spatial computing. We're really happy. This is the next iteration of spatial stuff, blah, blah, blah. I definitely agree about all this. If you watch my feed for the past week, that's pretty much all I can talk about besides AI. However, going back to AI, Tim Cook finally mentioned the word AI in the call. And he's not the only one. It's very clear where the thing is going. Every earnings call for every major company mentioned AI. Tim Cook specifically mentioned AI finally and said, hey, we're very excited about this technology and we're going to show you something like soon. So I expect that this WWDC is going to be spatial and AI related. And I definitely think that Apple are thinking about both just because the way Siri looks in spatial is just incredibly like nice. It's all like, and I, I can see how embodying AI in your physical world where you have um, spatial awareness, you can put something in the corner, it will sound like it's coming in the corner. And I'm, I'm waiting for the, for the point where that has a bot, like a Tesla Optimus bot with AI. But before that, we'll definitely get there with spatial computing. So the, I, I'm going to have embodied AI agents around me. I'm going to ask questions. For some reason, the ChatGPT interface within the headset is horrible. <laughs> and specifically because we all know that the iPhone app you can talk to, but Vision Pro only has access to iPad apps. And you can install the ChatGPT iPad app, but you cannot talk to it, which is a miss, I think, on OpenAI's part. This is in my segment about the Vision Pro. I tried as, as much as possible to connect these things to AI to bring this to you. But separately from this, my full review of Vision Pro is, holy shit, this device is the new category of computing. And I can talk about this in a different space if you're interested. And I think it's time for a reset the space. We've gone up for an hour here, folks, a little bit more than an hour. I'm just going to play some music, reset the space, and then we're going to have a conversation with some folks here on stage. Welcome everyone to the second hour of Thursday Eye, where we usually, we have a bunch of stuff to cover still from the news angle, like the Bria stuff and the Metavoice stuff and the arts and diffusion, but, and you also maybe want to have some time to talk about Vision Pro, but for now we have two guests here on stage that I want to welcome and introduce, and we're going to talk about very interesting things that maybe some of you who follow 
the Twitter X AI ecosphere have been seeing around. And I really want to say, I want to say thank you and welcome to Connor and Benjamin for joining us. Maybe let's unmute Connor first and then Benjamin and just introduce yourself. Benjamin, I know you're going through some stuff, buddy. And as much as you can, Benjamin, okay. feel free to, to talk to us, but we'll try to cover as much as possible. Connor, go ahead and then Benjamin. Hey, Alex, are you able to hear me first of all? Yes, we can hear you fine, loud awesome. and clear. <laughs> awesome, cool. I think I've been like refreshing the Twitter page and all that, but awesome. So I'm Connor. I'm a research scientist at WeVA, also host the WeVA podcast. And yeah, I've just been so excited about DSPI. I'm really excited to be diving into it further. That's awesome. And I think that WeVA podcast was the first podcast that I came on as a little bit of a guest from NURP. So we had a great conversation <laughs> outside of NURP's side, yeah, yeah. if you guys want to check this out. But also, WeVA podcast, the folks from Weights and Biases had a great chat with you. That's where I know you from. I actually researched my position and my team based on the conversation you had with them. Very knowledgeable. And thank you for that content. It's really great. And folks definitely should check it out. And I want to also say hi to Benjamin Clavi. Welcome, Benjamin. Hey, thank you for having me. Can you hear me? Yes, you're coming through loud and clear. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I've met Ragato, which you might have seen if you're interested in retrieval at all, which is like Liam zero way to Skolbert. And like Alex mentioned, that's currently got a 29 degree shiver. So I'm physically here, but not present in state, but do, do, with me. What's, in terms of background, could you give us a little bit of background, like how you came up to build these things? What's your background? Is this AI? Give us maybe a few brief sentences there. I'll say my background yeah, is like AI, yeah, done the stereotypical thing of dropping out of uni and uh, immediately gone working into NLP and I've been doing that retrieval on NLP for six, seven years now, very standard background. So definitely related background. Okay, so we're here to talk about multiple, multiple things, interesting things. And Connor, I think maybe let's just start with... I think the guy behind some of this work, Omar Khattab, is not with us, right? But definitely some of the work that we're going to talk about is attributed to him. So maybe, can you, Connor, can you start us with an introduction to maybe DSPI and then Colbert? And then we're going to talk about Colbert and Ragatui. And then just a brief one, then we're going to dive into what this means for retrieval stuff. Definitely as it relates to you guys in Wave 8, rags are everywhere and like better rag systems and better options to prompt these LLMs to better retrieve is everybody's looking for those. So let's start maybe there. Okay, so I'll try to keep the story going from intro to DSPi and then taking it into retrieval. So I think the first thing about DSPi that will like capture your interest is the programming model. It has this way of writing initial prompts in a really succinct way. And then you can chain together or compose these graphs of several large language model calls with tool use in the middle, and then we can come into retrieve a little bit there as well. But you start off with a really coarse description of what you want it to do, re-rank these documents, and then it will optimize the, the whole description of the task, as well as giving you two shot examples to put in the prompt. So that's the first thing that is just super interesting. I'm sure everyone listening has done this like manual tweaking of the prompt to try to get it to do your task and how irritating that can be. And so that's probably the quickest value add is it automatically will come up with the prompts. And then when you want to switch your language model, you've been over there saying, please output JSON for exclamation marks performing better than one. And now you switch from GPT-4 to Gemini Ultra, or say you want to see if Quen can be few shot prompt to do this. You can now recompile the prompt by using DSPI and you can switch your language model without having to <laughs> then redo the prompt tuning. So I have so to pause right here, Connor, because I'm coming to this as clean as possible with not a lot of understanding of these things. You said recompile the prompt. I'm definitely one of the folks 
who've tweaked prompts, tried again, saw, oh, okay, it works for yeah. GPT-4. I'm definitely one of those folks. What do you mean compile the prompt, recompile the prompt? Let's talk about the compilation part of this. I even when I met Omar, I said compile it, it's overloaded. I think this kind of analogy started with calling LLMs the new operating system for LLMs. And so I think that's the line of thinking to be start to be calling it a compiler. Really, we mean automated prompt tuning. But the reason compiling, I think, is the right way to think about it is let's say you have eight large language model programs, eight parts of it. That's what I think is the really exciting. That's what I think makes Langchain so popular is people see this gallery of examples of chains where you first analyze some chunks of blog posts, extract the topics, then you later on aggregate the topics into a description of the topic, and then you maybe pass it to an editor prompt, and then you maybe have a council of reviewers. <laughs> like there's this chain, and so with each component of the chain, or, or I think graph is now the more common abstraction, you have a prompt there. So let's say you have eight language well, or however many, I imagine that as this continues to evolve, we're going to see like super deep LLM, the programs that will have so many LLMs in the middle of it. And so you have a prompt for each of those components. And so that's why compiling, I think the analogy is great because you're compiling the prompts for all of these prompts. And yeah, so, so that's why I'll, I'll defend the compiling. So I'll just say like from a perspective of a, a tinkerer, that's something that maybe triggers me a little bit to say, oh, I need to compile stuff. No, I just write Python code. But you're saying <laughs> developers do not fret. Compiling is not that like crazy. It's specifically very helpful and useful for larger applications and very is very helpful for when you want to replace the brain behind the stuff that you're doing, but you want to do this in a structured way. Is that me understanding correctly of what we're talking about? Yeah, I agree completely with that. Awesome. So that's DSPy and Omar Hatab latent interactions or latest interactions. I think the nickname is. We're definitely going to add him to show notes as well. He's the author of this. DSPy has yeah. been around for a while. I definitely know that he has been posting about this quite quite a lot, but recently has been on the pickup as well. And maybe Colbert is one of the reasons. Let's maybe can you introduce Colbert as well, Connor? Or do we have some stuff about DSPy still to cover in the introduction phase? Uh, okay, I can transition to Colbert. Colbert? Colbert? How, how do we, how oh. do we even pronounce this thing? <laughs> I, yeah, I was I was surprised when Omar pronounced it Colbert because it was Bert and then there's Stephen Colbert. I had heard him on the podcast with, I think, Christopher Manning from Stanford. He had asked him about that. So if Omar, the creator of this, pronounced Colbert, unfortunately, even though it's Bert models, I think Colbert is what we're talking about. <laughs> but yeah, from Stanford yeah. there. So... What is Colbert? Why is there excitement on my feed around this? And let's give us an introduction, mm -hmm. Connor. So the, probably the right way to start thinking about it is in search, you typically have retrieval and then re-ranking. And retrieval is where you have like encodings of the documents, like you put each of the documents into an embedding model and you get a vector embedding. And then you're doing just dot product distances between the query vector and these document vectors. So there's no interaction between the query and the documents, the representations are encoded completely separately in retrieval. And then you'll typically pass that into a re-ranker. And so there are three kinds of re-rankers. There's point-wise re-rankers that take as input the query and the document and then output a relevance score, doing the interaction between just this query and this the query in this one document. Then there's pairwise where you take two documents in the query and have a tournament of, <laughs> of two at a time. And then there's the list-wise re-rankers where you're taking all the documents as input at once. So the re-rankers are pretty effective, but you have this massive latency overhead by doing it like that. So what Colbert introduces is this late interaction 
So the benefit of having this interaction between the query and the document, most similar to the point-wise cross-encoder re-rankers, where you keep the vectors for the, the documents and you have this kind of interaction between the inner token vectors. So, so let me, is, right now what we're doing mostly with vector search is, and this is why the BERT thing is actually really important, is because we're using these encoder-only models that output that, like a vector for each of the token. But then we pool all those vectors to represent the object with one vector. But Colbert, you keep all the vectors for the query and the document. And then you have this enterprise, it's maybe a little hard to just talk you through the math behind this, but you have this, uh, the, the maximum similarity of each of those query vectors with all the document vectors. So say you have a hundred document vectors and you're at index zero of the query vectors, you do the maximum similarity with those hundred, then you're at the first vector of the query, second, third, so on, and then you'll average that out. So you now have this late interaction of the vectors between the query and the document. I, I hope that maybe Benjamin can take the mic from here. I, I hope that gets the gist of it. Yeah, that was pretty good. So just to clarify, like max similarity is like when you're using normal vectors or like pair representation, you do have a single vector for the whole document. When you're using Colbert, like Connor said, you've got one vector pair token. And actually three all time, what you do is you compare every single one of your query tokens. So generally not a lot, like maybe 32. And you compare that with every single token in every single document, and you make, you only keep the highest similarity. And then you sum that up. And so you compare every token to every token, you get sort of this like really fine grained comparison instead of trying to slot everything into one massive vector to probably lose information because you're doing it at the token low value. It's quite clear. I call this like a bag of embeddings because it's like quite close to what we do with TFIDF, but with embeddings instead of like just a word count. Wow. Okay. So let me try. So Connor said a bunch of stuff. Then Benjamin, you simplified. Let me try to simplify from my understanding. Okay. Regular rack system, regular basic, not, without even a re-ranking step. Connor, like the basic stuff that people do in the Waviate examples, for example, or whatever local embeddings, you have, let's say, the, a vector store of a bunch of information. You have a user asking a question. You want to augment LLM's information tree because of the knowledge cutoff. And then you embed the user's query in some sort of embedding. We've talked about embeddings multiple times here on Thursday. I, you get some number back. And like Benjamin said, you get one embedding for the whole document or the whole query. You get like just one, not per token. You get one embedding and then you use that and to compare. And the usual similarity score is the, the ways to compare this. Then if we, you want to go to advanced stuff, then you maybe do some re-ranking. Re-ranking is basically showing like another LLM step, basically, right, Connor? Or some maybe model that does re-ranking for you that chooses, you retrieve multiple examples and you choose which one like fits better. And you can do this based on several things. The downside of this is the bigger documents you embed, the kind of, um, the less concepts maybe in this whole embedding are similar to your query. And we've all like talked about this kind of similarity is very interesting because embedding definitely has dimensions, but it's hard to figure out if a huge document like embeds into one is, how should, how should I say, averages everything that happens in there. And the benefit here of Colbert, finally I'm pronouncing this correctly, Colbert is that instead of embedding one time, it embeds per token. And am I getting this correctly? That sounds to me like a lot of compute. Is that correct? Embedding per token sounds, okay, now we can compare each token from the query to each token of the document, but is it significantly overhead in terms of uh, compilation time compute? What's the downside? It sounds better on, on the surface. 
So yeah, sorry. Go ahead, Benjamin, please. Your yeah. Clarification was quite clear in that. Yeah, it's basically the problem with single vector representation is you've got a long document and you're essentially asking the model to be like, I'm going to squeeze in every single thing that could be to know about this document into like 500 shows or something, which is not a lot of space. But Colbert takes more storage space to answer your question, like you will need to store more tokens, even though there are compression techniques, and we'll get into that later. But compute-wise, it's essentially the same, because when you're using any sort of transformer model, you'll be attending to every token anyway. The only difference is Colbert actually stores those instead of just averaging them at the end. Oh, so the, on the output of, of something like Colbert, you actually get all of the embeddings per token and not just one embedding per the whole document. And then you can, it's it, like the storage is higher, but you can actually use those for more, better, higher quality comparisons. That's what we're talking about here. Is that correct? That's the gist of it, yeah. Gist of it. And then after Colbert, you've got Colbert V2 and Pled, which is essentially my team found out that yeah, that does take a lot of space, but can be compressed the embeddings. So most of the time when you see Colbert used in production, it actually compresses every single token vector to just one or two bits. So it don't take that much space on this. Oh, so Colbert V2 is what 10x size or something comparison, right? Or something like this. Uh, Kano, could you speak about this? Because obviously you're in the vector data set space. The more folks host, the better it is for you guys because you get a pet token. Can you speak about the size of this and like the, the improvement as well? Oh, yeah, well, I think Benjamin already nailed it. it. They, you know, they quantize each of the token vectors. There's a couple ways you can do this quantization. The most common is just to have k-means on the segments. You divide vectors in every two contiguous values. You would then cluster that and then reduce the precision to like eight bits. So when you quantize the token vectors, you can take down the storage overhead a lot. But yeah, I think Benjamin already said it all. <laughs> okay, so now let me take this into the practical realm because Colbert, the original paper came out in 2020. And I don't remember this off the top of my head, by the way, I'm reading. I have some mental documentation here that I'm using to ask you guys the proper questions. And then Colbert V2 came out and a significant compression of the data because they quantize the actual individual embeddings and performance is essentially the same, I assume. And then it also came out a while ago. And then Benjamin, I think you're in charge single-handedly for the resurrection or like the renewed interest because all of what we're saying doesn't not doesn't sound to me super easy as somebody who just okay it's super easy for me to use a vector database like wavy other competitors local vector stores they all have very simple tutorials for me to just embed the query go do a regular nearest neighbor can then search whatever and then just do this for the user now all of what we're talking about embedding per token like comparison like all of these things sound complex to me and then that's where regatory comes in correct so can you talk about you see all this happening and then what's your library doing why is it in charge of the resurrection of this whole concept yeah I don't know if I'll go as far as resurrection, but yeah, Colbert is basically used by everyone who is quite aware of search, like pretty much every search startup, people at Google, et cetera, are using Colbert, but they don't got that big outside the poor user area. And the reason I think it's something that Omar mentioned the other day is I wouldn't say Colbert itself isn't usable, but it's not approachable. If you go look at the repo, it's scary. There's a lot of things. How do I store those vectors, et cetera? And the point of Fregatu is like trying to bridge that guy because we 
now the point I think where AI has users that are like traditional AI for our users, especially in IR, because are complicated and the things are complicated. And the point of regulatory was basically like, yeah, but why she could use callback and just like four lines of code. And I tried to build that and know to be quite easy to build. So <laughs> that's how it came to be. So you built it. It's quite easy for you. What is it? Just this is like a li library wrapper on top of the knowledge of how to run Colbert in production. What is the library like? Is this the length chain for Colbert? Tell us like what folks are to expect when they open up and they say, okay, I need to use something like this. This is super interesting. This higher quality retrieval. How do I start? Yeah, so I think that's two things. Yeah, that's where I would like it to be and what it currently is. What I would like it to be is to keep adding more stuff and like to bridge the gap between what's popular in IR research for retrieval, which is probably a few years ahead of what's actually popular in the mainstream because it's quite obscure. And then what it is right now, like when you open regulatory, it's likely there's two main classes. One that you can use to fine tune and train Colbert models and hopefully more latent action models, but right now it's just Colbert and tries to abstract away all the hard stuff. There's a thing called harm negatives when you're training for retrieval and you need to mine for harm negatives and that's been done in the background. And then you've got the main one, which you can use to Colbert to ranker or use Colbert to encode documents in memory or use Colbert to, to optimize Colbert index, which does the compression, etc. So it's basically, yeah, give, give it your document, it will process them, and then you end up with something you can find. Just from a perspective of nobody that used this model so far, let's say I already have a vector database existing. I need to re-embed everything in there to start using Colbert and with Rogatui? And that's what you mean by fine-tune? Yes. Or is there like an additional thing that's called fine-tune? Because this is not like the LLM fine-tune that we've talked about here on Thursday and multiple times. This is a different fine-tune. What are we fine-tuning? How long does it take? Does it need GPUs? If you don't mind, walk us through this, if, if, if how easy this is for the user to do. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So it's actually quite similar to LLM fine-tunes, just on a much smaller scale, because you would actually be fine-tuning the model itself. There's another paper by Omar and team. Omar's everywhere in the street, regardless. There's, <laughs> another there's another paper by Omar and team called UDA PDR, which is actually a combination of using DSP, so the proto DSPY, with Colbert to basically fine tune Colbert to any unknown domain. So, any new domain, you could technically get a much better retrieval model using that. Right now, there's only one implementation. That's something we would like in, to have in Ragatu. But yeah, the other question is, can you use your existing vectors with this? And so it's no, and that's quite annoying. And what I fine tune, I also mean like you can fine tune the model, or you can also just use Colbert T2 of the shells and use that to embed your documents and create a new index. If, if I have to speak of the cons, I would say there's no vector DB except Vespa, which I don't think qualifies as a modern vector DB in the sense that you probably mean here that can use Colbert embeddings out of the box. I know there's interest, maybe Conor. You guys were support at some point, sir. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're definitely working on. It. I think, yeah, I think I do think that you maybe understated the contribution of Ragatui before you did this. It wasn't, it was not easy to train your own Colbert model, and it definitely wasn't something that we saw as frequently. It was like, yeah, I think that you've definitely evangelized it. I don't necessarily agree with the most people doing search were doing it this way. Maybe I've just opened a thing, but I think most people have been doing the kind of pooled vectors thing, and this is very new, but and yeah, we are working on adding it. 
I, from my perspective, just yeah, judging by the social feeds, I agree, Benjamin, without Ragatouille, I don't think I've been even been interested. <laughs> but I want to maybe ask Connor here as a follow-up. So you, you see it blowing up, like what piques your interest in how approachable this is? What's fine-tuning a Colbert model mean for a retrieval? You guys are like researching every mm -hmm. retrieval technology out there as much as possible in order to bring this obviously to your users as well. Quality of retrieval is very high, of, of a very high importance as well, but storing these like vectors in different vector databases. What do you see in Regatory like exploding and how does this translate into people are using rags better, R sorry, rags better? Um, yeah, I guess it, yeah, it definitely is just, I think what I opened with this kind of retrieves and re-rank it, collapsing it into the one thing. And I think it's really just explained it really well. I agree with you, Alex. I, I don't think I would have understood Colbert as well as I do now if it wasn't for Benjamin and Ragatui. So that's what I think. But under the hood, it's, I think it's still like this re-ranking thing where we can still use, we still use the pooled vector and, and like an HNSW search to surface the candidates. And then we'll now bring the the other token vectors with it and then for weba that just means opening up like having a more generic type for how we store vectors to instead of just one vector now we have this inter, like you know, an open interface and so to let you still use the because the pooled vector embedding search is still very popular as well uh, the open ai embedding i think the matryoshka thing Maybe we could talk about that as well. I think that has some flavors of this. I'm not sure if it still has the same kind of hierarchy to it, but I think there's also, maybe I'm going off topic, but there's also a paper from DeepMind about semantic IDs. And so semantic IDs, they're like this like hierarchical, discrete, quantized things where it'd be like, like at the, say you have three, three IDs and they're each eight bits. And the first one would be like, whether it's about sports or news or something like that. So. There's definitely, a, yeah, this this is definitely like a newer thing, I would say. And I hope I answered the question. I think I just did like a circle around. <laughs> no, with you, with this circle, definitely. I just want to touch about a concept that may be not familiar for folks here on the Thursday I stage. Matroshka embeddings came to my, on my radar just recently after OpenAI released their new embedding models. And one of the things they've added in their new embedding models is the ability to reduce dimensions like via API call. And people were starting thinking like, hey, how did they do this? What usually like when you get an embedding model, you get the set amount of dimensions. And then some folks started saying there was this paper called Matroshka Embeddings that Matroshka, if you guys uh, are not visualizing what this is, like the Russian dolls thing where one fits into another. And there's this paper, and I think the author of Matroshka Embeddings is on my radar as well. Maybe we'll get him on Thursday Eye that actually allows for a significantly smaller, correct me if I'm wrong, way to, to do this. And I think folks from Gina definitely talked about trying to train Matroshka with some other stuff. So this is like a new concept we haven't touched upon yet, but could potentially be an additional competitor here. I want to scroll back real quick. We have Benjamin back. Benjamin, let's talk about the speed of this for like larger documents. Definitely what I learned about Regatory, definitely, but also about Colbert is for larger documents. I saw something, I think, from Omar about just like millions of, of rows or something significantly faster. Could you speak about like the, the speed of this whole thing? Are we getting like an improvement significantly for speed? Like why would a person who already has a setup consider switching to something like this? And let's talk about the seconds it takes to run through like a bunch of documents um, to, to find similarities. Okay, so that's, so I did miss a few things. So it might have been said already, but there's a trade-off here in that. Creating a Colbert index as in an optimized one using quantization, like Connor said, is quite slow, like pretty slow because it has to run k-means on all your embeddings, etc. But the 
con like the flip side of that is that once your documents are in an optimized index, query is pretty much in constant time. Like it doesn't matter if you've got 100 million documents or billion, it will take about 50, 60 milliseconds. And that's because the indexing optimization step basically creates a bunch of centroids that you can use to, you can use as a gateway to documents, like to simplify things. So query is pretty much constant. And that's a big pro optimized called that exit. I think that's what counts because it also means that adding and deleting from a Colbert index is very slow because you need to recompute that. And I think there's space here for some sort of hybrid approach also using NHSW for like smaller collections because you don't need that sort of optimization if you've got like 10,000 documents or something. Interesting. It's just for, for my understanding brain, this is very similar to pre-compilation of some stuff versus like runtime executions for some stuff. You're saying if basically you can offload the the compilation part uh, and your users will not basically suffer from this right you don't have to go and call different apis for this uh, if you if you're able to do this and then you pre-compile everything and the benefit here is larger indices like larger like significantly larger document stores you're talking about like millions or 100 millions or so but then retrievals almost near time like instant under like milliseconds that's, I think, a crazy benefit for folks, especially in, in enterprises and different places where, yeah, that, that I think is like a significant improvement towards uh, regular like search and, and uh, vector comparison. Connor, would you say so as well? Because you guys are in the business of, of uh, vector comparison and bringing people. Are you seeing like a significant improvement from a retrieval speed here? Yeah, I think the latency probably isn't too bad because you, the way that I understand Colbert is that you still, or Colbert, sorry, I would agree on Colbert, but <laughs> is that you still have the, the top 100 search with HSW. That latency is pretty slow. It's going to be like five milliseconds at a, at a million scan. It's like the most hand wavy thing ever. But, and then you just bring these quantized vectors into memory to then, re it's way faster than the cross encoder approach where you're going to take those top 100 results and then append them with the query and send them to a an inference container to get back the scores and sort them. So it's way faster than that. I think maybe one thing out of what you just said that I want to parse is I don't think it's the same analogy as compile it or compose it at runtime. It's maybe more so like an asynchronous kind of thing where you can query the index that you currently have. And then in the background, the index can start doing that k-means quantization. That's probably the slowest thing of, as Benjamin just mentioned, like that quantizing the token vectors. And now we're, let's say we're I'm actually not familiar with the detail of exactly how many token vectors you're keeping per document, but let's say it's 512, right? And now you're going to be running k-means over each of those in, in parallel. And then you also are trying to multi-thread the per-segment codebook. So I think speeding that, fitting that codebook is going to be your challenge. And so that's probably, and then keeping that fresh because these codebooks, if that's the way you're doing it, I don't I think about Matryoshka and it, it's like maybe, and, and it's like, maybe you can get the quantized vectors out of the box with one of the embedding models, but it's the quantization schemes are pretty dependent, uh, are like dependent on your data, particularly like you can't, it's not like the embedding models that you get from the common APIs that they come with the codebooks. You have to fit these codebooks to your data. So I think the way to think about it would be that we can fit these code books like asynchronously in the background and you can query what you currently have and then the updating and having the refresh indexing that can happen with a cycle kind of way. All right. I want to maybe move towards, okay, let's say folks 
are interested to trying this. Benjamin, could you could you speak about how to like is regulatory the right start? Do they have to? I think you mentioned this briefly. I just want to return to this. Uh, is this only like significantly better for a large set of documents? What are the steps to getting started here and what people should know? And then I guess uh, we'll ask about if uh, where to find you guys and how to keep up to date with as these developments around this area happen. So if you want to get started, I think regulatory is probably definitely the easiest way to like try call out. We've got a few example notebooks on the GitHub repository. If you want to contribute more, please do. That's the big thing. I need more documentation, more notebooks. But you can try the ranking or indexing in memory or building your index or functioning pretty much out of the box. So I'd say start there. In terms of retrieval performance, like Colbert is always a really strong performer in the existing IR literature and we do have a rerun curl so you can just try it out just use it to re-rank before you commit to indexing your whole documents just to see how it will perform for you so I so said that could be an easy way to slot in any existing pipeline but okay just retrieve documents re-rank them and see what the rerun curl does for you and that in, in that case I think in integration with existing libraries also exists for folks who use like Langchain or Lama Index I saw that they also integrate at least some parts of this correct? Yeah, and I do want to thank them for that because they basically did this within 24 hours of me raising regular. On Lama Index, you can use Colbert indexes, and on Langchain, you can use Colbert indexes, and you can use like, Colbert's ranker as well. So if you already use Langchain, you can add like an extra Colbert step using regular in three more lines of code, I think. Incredible. So folks definitely, definitely who are interested in, in trying out what <laughs> the big dogs use for search. Re-ranking is a very easy, like without committing, re-ranking is a, f- a fairly easy way to get started with this and see if you get a significant performance. Uh, and Connor, we barely touched on DSPI. So I do want to have a conversation about because that's also all over my feed. Basically, Omar is all <laughs> over my feed. And c- could you, let's say, how th- does this all connect somehow with DSPIs or no? And Because DSPIs is for the prompt area this is more for the retrieval area Where, where's the connection point that i'm missing besides omar being everywhere oh, I, I think oh i think omar being everywhere is maybe the biggest connection because <laughs> to me it's kind of like dspi is like optimizing the llm program prompt part and then i think to have the optimate optimization loop connect between that and the retrieval model you definitely there's works like promptigator in pairs Omar has, I think, U U D A P D R something like that, where where you use the LM to generate synthetic queries, and then you fine tune the embedding model with that. That's that would be where the connection would be. DSPI is like a synthetic data framework. You tell it what you want it to do, and it will use the LMs to generate trace successful executions of the task, and then you use that to distill it to either small models or to tune the prompts, or you could fine tune an embedding model. I don't think it's quite. That, I think that would be pretty advanced. Maybe Benjamin can take the mics from here. Yeah, I would say TSPI and Colbert are directly related. They exist in the same space, but definitely very different tools. Like Connor mentioned, UDA, PDR, which is a paper, the paper I mentioned actually, where you use TSP and hopefully soon DSPI to find you the Colbert to any domain it's not exposed never been exposed to before and get it to have state-of-the-art result on any domain. That's a really good application of DSPI to Colbert. And likewise, you can use Colbert as a retriever on your DSPI pipeline, but it's just a component. It's not quite a DSPI thing. Yeah, well, I, I do have something though that is very related to retrieval generally. 
is we saw all these amazing LLM query router things. I want to give Lava Index credit for evangelizing most of this stuff. But so one example is say you have the LLM pick a metadata filter to put on the vector search. Like you want to search only where you're searching through, let's say you have an index of podcast clips and you want to say only where the speaker is Omar Kitab. And you have an LLM predict that filter, and then that would be in the retrieval engine. And so you have this, you have a prompt behind that. Same with text to SQL. There's a prompt behind how you will put these things around retrieval. And so DSPI can optimize the prompts or optimize the models that do that to get the maximum performance out. And not, I, not to, I don't mean to say anything negative about the existing frameworks, but you're right now locking into the prompts that they have built in to the framework to mm -hmm. make it do these things, whereas DSPI opens it up to optimize it for your thing. Interesting. Yeah, I don't think it's negative necessarily. I think people, after using some of these frameworks, they understand that, and we've seen this from multiple folks, this, they could potentially start with something like a Lama Index or LangChain and then quickly figure out that some more freedom is needed and DSPI, you're saying, is a potential kind of way to do that. Okay, Connor, anything else? Very interesting. So first of all, you have a bunch of great content on this. You recently did, I think it's been to the top of the tweet. I'll definitely add this to the show notes as well. You did a deep dive into DSPIs on your, was that on a podcast or was it just a video? Definitely will send folks there. Anything else you want to add of like how to find you, where to find your content? And definitely folks should follow you, first of all. We'll add your thoughts. <laughs> Oh, thanks, Alex. Yes, I have two podcasts right now with Omar, of course, and then I have Carol Deucerlink, who's created this Infer Retrieve Rank program. It's one of the coolest examples of DSPI. And yeah, and then I have one video out so far explaining the whole thing. Quickly, I wanted to point people to the update to DSPI assertions, because I think this is the most important thing with these prompting frameworks. And I think it's important to also understand Instructor from Jason Liu which is where you use Pydantic to define the schema of the outputs that you want from the language model. And then you validate the outputs to make sure that it outputted JSON with the, <laughs> the keys that you wanted. And so DSPI assertions is in this similar category. And this is like the most common discussion I'm seeing in the DSPI Discord is people looking to add instructor to DSPI and jointly looking to do this thing of like structured outputs and have this retry mechanism. There's a new work from Ar Arnav Signal, uh, Sig Oh, sorry, Arnav Singh V, we haven't met yet, and, and no more about high assertions. And I'm going to link it in the description of this chat because I highly recommend people check it out. Awesome. Nistan, just before I, I give you a, a question, I will shout out that Jason Liu from the Instructor Library came to the Weights and Biases courses, and there's a course that he builds with us as well that's for free. You can just go on db.ai slash courses. I'll definitely add this in the link below about structured output and how to force these LLMs to give us better structured output. It's funny that a person named Jason is building tools to get LLMs to output JSONs. But that's all I have. <laughs> just super quick. Nistan, go ahead. You had a question here. I just want to say it's pretty amazing that the people we bring here are from the products that we actually use. Like from last week, I started using Lilac. I might actually start running Ragatuni on that on that Hackernoon data set. And so I, I wanted to know, and mainly since some people ask in the comments, what have I used? I forced myself to only use open source models. And because I feel like that's the only way they're going to start getting better if we restrict themselves to them. I don't recommend you do it just yet. Just wait another maybe week or two. But I want, I wanted to ask, uh, we see some limitations with retrieval augmentation systems. Like in GPT-4, when people use it, it only gives three points from the document, doesn't really summarize it and stuff. 
what are the benefits of going with the cold bird? I'm going to, sorry. Uh, is it because it's much faster? Can you see that many more documents? I'm talking from a practical point of view, not necessarily even from a, a tech person's point of view. Like as a business who has a lot of customer data, why should they use this versus just putting it on PG Baxter and doing function calling? Is this faster that way? And what limitations does using, uh, again, Regatu with Colbert hat? That is a good and open question. So limitations, we have a lot right now. Like the lack of good cloud hosting offering is a big one. There's not really somewhere you can host this except doing it yourself, which is a big problem. And the main reason to use it, I would say, is generalization because the thing when you use any of the shelves embedding models is they look good on benchmarks and they tend to work quite well, but they've been optimized on those benchmarks. Colbert, for instance, like Colbert V2, has never been trained on the MTB benchmark or retrieval, et cetera. The reason it generalizes well is because working at the token level makes it a lot easier for your model to encode information. Whereas like when you're trying to squeeze everything into a single vector, it might not very well, not fall very well, say for your custom domain. Whereas with Colbert, you can always assume it's going to be okay in every domain, but it's not the best, or you need to mention it later. It's probably the biggest draw, I'd say. Awesome. So I, I definitely want to thank you guys for coming up and explaining these concepts that have been floating around in very simple language. And I appreciate your patience with me re-asking re this in, in the way that I understand, because I know definitely that this is my way to understand, but also some folks in the audience. That's that's how we do here on Thursday. I, so uh, more than welcome to rejoin. For, I now consider both of you friends of the pod. So I agree with Nistan. It's really cool to see the authors of the libraries and the tools that we use come here to Thursday to talk about them and obviously upcoming features as well. Uh, definitely welcome. Benjamin, thank you for doing a bunch of open source stuff and uh, evangelizing the whole Colbert, uh, Colbert thing to make it simpler for folks. Definitely. Thank you. And any, anything you want to add here that I haven't touched yet, please go ahead, Benjamin. I do have a few shout outs. Yes, One please. of them is that Langchain and DS5 are not mutually exclusive. And I shared that in the chat. There is now Langchain ex-DS5 integrations where you can define your chains in Langchain and still use DS5 to optimize things, which is pretty cool. And in the embedding world, so you mentioned maturity embedding and we talked about Colbert and the people at Gina are actually training a Colbert model right now using maturity embedding compression as like some sort of like, let's try this out, see how it works. And the final one is, you might have brought this up already, but the people at BAI trained like release BGM3 as a really cool embedding model that in a single pass outputs what a dance vector, but Colbert style multi-vector implementation and the straight style sparse representation. I won't go into too much detail about that. I'm sorry, I don't think I covered that. I think it's that. really cool. Who, who was that? Sorry, could you repeat? People at BAAI, the people who do the BGE embedding. Oh, yeah, yeah, B, B, yeah we it, talked about the yeah, model recently. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I did not the know. So they they now cool. have a thing where it outputs a regular embedding and also Colbert style embedding? Yeah, the big thing last week was M3, which has a Colbert style embedding, Slate style embedding, which is a sparse representation method, and dance embeddings, the single model of Total 3. Oh, that's incredible. Okay, so we're adding some and knowledge here. Thank you for, let, let me just repeat just the way that I hear this. We've talked about the BAAI, uh, BGE M3. M3 basically stands for 
multiple things. One of them is multilinguality. So they upgraded their embeddings to use not only English, but also I think a hundred languages as well. So now Benjamin, you're saying they're also implementing for us this step, the output of dense embedding, but also the the Colbert embedding, correct? Yeah. Yeah. One of the meanings of M, I think, is multi-composability uh, or something. Yeah. Multifunctionality. Multifunctionality, yeah, yes, exactly. Yes. To generate different kinds of embedding. And I think that the first non-Colbert, actually like strong multi-vector model, there's issues as in the vectors are too big, etc. It's a really nice like, thing to see happen. Oh, definitely shout out. Like, we need to get the folks yeah. from BAAI here to, to speak about this. Uh, so if you folks know them, uh, definitely connect them to me. I would love to hear about uh, from the authors of BG. Yeah, definitely shout out. Gina, I think Bo Wang, uh, we've mentioned he's a friend of the pod. He came when Gina released embeddings and he often comes here and gives us like insights about how embeddings work. Shout out ben, uh, Bo and the team at Gina as well. Connor, your, your stage, if you want to add everywhere else where folks can follow or shout out your stage and then we're going to continue with some more news. Oh, awesome. Thanks so much, Alex. It's been so cool to be a part of the podcast. And I love how it's integrated in X because this is actually my favorite place to, <laughs> to manage communication. So if you want to reach out, here would be great. Yeah, so definitely give a Connor a follow and uh, Wavy8 podcast is incredible. We've been, but we have some bias. We had a mutual video together and Connor hosted our folks and there was, a, a, I learned a bunch of it before I joined with some bias as well. Uh, great source of information from both of you. Thank you guys so much for coming up, explaining these complex on the surface concept to us, maybe complex also implementation wise, but uh, making them simpler as well, I think is very important. Talking about them, I think is very important. And you, you are now considered friends of Thursday Eye uh, community. And hopefully this will get more folks to learn about this, contribute, etc. And I think with that, we're like a, a bit over the top, like two hours since I started the recording. We had a great show today. Thank you everybody for listening and coming. I just want to summarize this in a few notes that that I really enjoy my time here every week and I really enjoy learning from folks. I think uh, Nistan, you mentioned today that uh, it's so cool to have the authors of the things we talked about. So today we also had this benefit. We had Benjamin here and we had Connor who covered this. And we also had Justin again from the Quen team to talk about the Quen stuff that they released. And it's really cool that the community now connects different people. So I was able to connect Justin and the Quen team with the LM Studio folks and Olama folks. No, I think only LM Studio. And they were able to work together that they release is now supported in LM Studio the second they release something. So I love how this community comes together. I encourage everybody who listens to this to also participate in this. Either re 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 follow everybody who's on stage here, interact with our posts and boost the signal a little bit. Tell your friends. If you're working with friends and they don't listen to Thursday I and there's Alpha in listening to Thursday I like today, definitely tell your friends where this Alpha can be found. And with that, I want to thank you all and have a nice Thursday. Bye-bye, everyone.